talking about worship. And I just said that word worship, and I'm sure a lot of different thoughts just flooded into your head. <laughs> and you're probably thinking all kinds of different things. That, that is a word that can be very volatile in, in our culture today, worship. Uh, for some of those thoughts, they could be really good. For some of you who are thinking very good things just a moment, I say worship, and you're like, yes, we're just singing the praises of God, and you're centered around maybe portions of scriptures or maybe little vignettes here and there of Jesus that just stand out to you, those portions that excite your affections for him, that just stir your soul. You're thinking, oh, when I think about Jesus, I always remember this passage or this. It just, man, just blesses me. It stirs me. It just gets me excited about God and what he's done. Maybe you, you thought of a certain song in a service. When you say worship, you're like, oh, I really love singing these songs. Like there's certain songs that just, I just love singing them. Maybe for some of you though, the thoughts went more to a negative side of things. We say worship and you're like, worship. Yes, let's talk about worship. Uh, maybe you think about those experiences that, that weren't so pleasant. You're like, yes, I, I've been in some of those situations myself. And you're thinking, oh, those flood in we start talking about worship, and you start thinking about all the different things that distract or keep us from worship, or all the, sometimes we say worship, when you think about all the different things that if our church just did certain things better, that it would just engage us better. And so we, we think worship, and we're not thinking about the good things, we're thinking about sometimes the negative things. Or maybe you're, you're not in either place, you're just kind of, meh, worship, all right, sure, you know. You know, when it comes to worship, I really don't care one way or the other. You know, I'm, not, I'm really not invested into all the music. I'm really not invested in all the different things. It's like, I have a favorite song, and when we sing it, yeah, I enjoy singing it, and it's great, yeah, whatever, you know, but I don't really care so much about the different selections, and, and maybe you're just thinking, you know, I just, I don't really care that Rob's not a great preacher. Sometimes he just gives me a good message, and that's enough, you know? It's like, meh. However we think about worship as Christians, we need to realize something. Worship is central. It's central to who we are. Listen to what Peter says about it here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, God's, own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Peter says that you and I have been redeemed, that we've been brought near. We're in the family of God. We're in the fold to do something very important. That important thing is worship. We're to worship. Look at that passage. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Now that word proclaim means to announce publicly. It means to announce emphatically or authoritatively, to, to make 
plain or clear to publish abroad. So we're talking about the fame of our Lord when we worship. We're proclaiming his goodness, his attributes. We're saying who he is. We are announcing it to one another. We're announcing it to the world around us, but we're also speaking it back to him in his presence. We're saying, God, we see who you are. We have beheld it and we are proclaiming it back, your goodness to you. That's what we're doing. So when we assemble, we assemble to do what Peter said we were created to do, and that is to worship. That is to worship. Many theologians have rightly pointed out that we're all worshipers. Maybe you're even thinking that. Like, we are, oh, we're all worshipers. I've heard that over the years, and, and it's true. Man is created to worship. We Human beings, man, are all worshipers. So man can worship and be devoted to many different things. For example, man can worship himself. He, he thinks about uh, his beauty or talent or ability, uh, how popular he is on social media, <clears throat> his intelligence or, or some other attribute. Man worships himself. Man may worship money or material things. He may uh, always be looking for bigger barns and the next new thing to come. You know, idolizing those things that people have, maybe uh, boats, cars, homes, jewelry, clothing, technology, it goes on and on and on. The, the man worships stuff. Man can worship nature. He can look out there and see God and everything, and everything is God and just thinks of nature. Or, or maybe he worships nature in the sense that I got to think of that faceless next generation to come, and the greatest good I can do for them is to preserve the earth. And he gets into environmentalism, and he's just like, it's about nature. It's about the earth and all that's out here. Man may even worship other gods. I mean, there are so many different religions and faiths and hybrids of them in our world. We see it. Now, the point is not to give you a list of all the different way man worships. I mean, you could probably name off several more. But the point is, is that man is created to worship. That's what we do. That's, that's who we are. We're worshipers. So Paul speaks of this dilemma of worship in Romans chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. This is what he says. He's talking about man. Man exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and listen, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we see you can't not worship. You have to. It's how you're wired. It's how God made you. It's how you're put together. You will worship something. Something will take your affections. 
So the question is, what do you look to? What do you worship? What do you look to? What, where do you find meaning and value and purpose in life? Now, for, for us who, who know God, who've come to know God through Christ, we gladly and easily say we look to him. We look to the triune God for meaning and purpose of life. But let me ask you this follow-up question. So you're like, yeah, I worship Jesus, Rob. Let me ask you the follow-up. How passionately do you pursue him in worship? I want to remind us of something that's very important about worship, something that we continually need to be reminded of. It's this in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, and he's talking about the Pharisees here. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, Jesus in this passage, what he's doing, he's, he's pointing to the Pharisees. He's saying, these guys know all the right things to say. These guys know all the right religious activities to do. Like, they, they get it. And he says, but they come and worship in vain. Like, hello. Like, wait, the, the guy has all the right theology, and he knows all the right things, and, he's, and he says and does, you know, in outward appearance, everything that looks like what God wants. And Jesus comes along and says, this is in vain. This isn't worship. In vain means to be fruitless, to be lacking substance, to be worthless. That's what he said. He says, they bring worship, it has no substance, it has no value. It's a big fat zero in the worship column. <laughs> you scored no points. Thank you for playing, you know. He says it's without value. Our English word, Worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. It literally means to ascribe worth of the highest value to something. So worship, when we say, let's get together for a worship service, what we're saying is worship is ascribing to God the praise that he is worthy of, the highest value given to God. Let's, let's have a worship service. Let's get together. What we're saying is ascribe the highest worth possible to God. So Jesus says in that passage, if that worship is not from a sincere place of the heart, if it's not coming in sincerity before God, then it's, it's worthless. It's, it's vain. He's talking to the, the genuineness of the worshiper. So our worship this morning in here, our worship that we've already engaged in and that we're continuing in right now, we're worshiping as we're hearing the scriptures, as, we're, as the Spirit's speaking to you through me in the word, as we are worshiping in this place this morning, is only worthy of God if we know who we're worshiping. If you come in here with the wrong thoughts about God, the wrong ideas of who God is, if you don't know God and you give worship, how do you know that you gave something of the highest value that is worthy of him, that ascribes that to him? 
You, you, we have to know who it is that we worship. So, once we know, and we're going to look at Psalm 145 today, once we know, then we respond. When we know, when we, when we see him revealed, when God shows himself to us, then we respond appropriately. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 145. If not, it'll all be on the screen. Uh, and we're going to look at a song of praise by David. And I hope that it just arrests your attention so that you can see who God is, that you can see why he is worthy of our worship, and at the same time, see what our response should be. Because David has it all intermingled. And he wants us to see how worship should look. So Psalm 145, <clears throat> this is what it says. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. <clears throat> Sorry. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall command your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the, glory, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your domain endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of the Lord, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever 
and ever. This is just one of David's songs. David was, he was a bold leader. And you look in the scriptures and you see him, he's a bold leader. He's a brave shepherd. I mean, there's times where it says that he had to defend the sheep and he's defending them against bears and lions with his bare hands. With, I mean, that, I'm thinking, he was a teenager at the time. I would have been killed. Like, but here's David like, I'm going to save the sheep. He was a mighty shepherd. He was a loyal servant. Even the king saw, loyal to the end, touch not the Lord's anointed. Now's not my time, it's his time. And he served Saul faithfully. But above all of those things that we see in Scripture, and I'm sure there's more about David that we could say, I believe David, first and foremost, was a worshiper. He was a worshiper. And we read this about him in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. It says, The Lord, that's he, raised up David to be king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. He worshiped God and was going after God in all of his ways. So let's look and see what David saw just in this psalm. Let's just see. He's sitting there. He's writing this out. He's making it into a song. He's singing this. So what does he see? Verses 3 and 6, he says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. He says God is great. Now, that word in our culture today is kind of like awesome. It's lost all its value and all its meaning. I mean, I, man, Whoever brought in donuts, man, that is great. Thanks for bringing in the donuts today. That's not what David's saying about God. And he says God is great. He is the highest. There's nothing higher than him. He, is, he sits enthroned uh, on the circumference of the world. He is over all things. He is great. That's what David's saying. He says, when I think of our God who sits in heaven... He is great. Verse 5, he says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. He says that he is glorious in splendor in his majesty. He's glorious. I, I, we don't sing uh, this song anymore. It, it, was, it, it was one that kind of came and went. It was with passion and stuff and, and uh, just talking about how glorious God is. And the refrain is, uh, you're glorious, glorious, great is your name in all the earth. You know, you know that song? Great is the Lord. That glorious. And I think sometimes we, we, we don't give the words the value they deserve. He's glorious. He's like, Look at God. He is great. He is glorious. Verse 7 and 9, he says this. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. He's talking about how good he is. 
We sing that. You are good, good. I mean, do we, have we thought about how good he is? Verse 7 again, here it talks about his righteousness, his goodness, and they shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Now, when we think about our righteousness, when God gives us righteousness, it's like it's, it's bringing us up. Like he's, he's changing us. He's, he's working on our behalf. We're, but God is righteous. So it's not, he doesn't need to be brought up. What is he doing here? He's saying that God conforms to the standard of his own perfection. When we say he's righteous, we're saying he's perfect, he's holy, he's pure. That's who he is. He's unchanging. He's always that. He is righteous. Verse 8, he goes on and he says this. He says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is merciful. I mean, we know that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that we who were sinners find mercy at the cross, find mercy in Jesus. He's merciful towards us. He he thinks of us and gives mercy. Again, verse 8, he abounds in steadfast love. That one as a husband, I tell you what, there are seasons where I think I'm nailing it. (laughs) I'm like, I've been really good this month. Man, like, I've been serving, and I've been praying for my wife, and I've been doing these things. And, like, and I'm thinking, I haven't complained much at all. And when I have, it's just in, in the laundry room by myself. Like, nobody heard it, so it's okay. Right? You know, like, I'm thinking, my love has been really good this month. And God says, it's nothing like mine. I abound in it. And it's steadfast. Like, I, I give it. And I give it, and I give it, and I never run out, and I never goes dry, and I'm never tired of doing it, and I constantly, he abounds. Like when I think I'm doing so good, God says, I do so much better. (laughs) That's what David says. He's like, oh, he abounds in steadfast love for us. That's who God is. That's who he is. That's just in this psalm. David this is who you are, and this is what you do. So these next group of verses talk about what God does. So those talk about who he is. These will talk about what he does. Verses 4, 5, 6, 9, and 12. One generation shall commend your your works to another. They shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. These verses point out that he is mighty, he is merciful, he has gracious works. His works are mighty. His works are merciful. His works are full of grace. And they proclaim it. He says in verse 11 through 13, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom 
and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. He is sovereign. He reigns. He rules. He has authority over all. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. He upholds. He upholds. He sustains all who are falling. What does your last month look like? Last week, last day, this morning. What does it look like? Are you one of those who says, right now, I'm falling. Like, life has been tough. It's been hard. It's just one thing after another. The waves keep crashing, and I am falling. And David says, God upholds you. He catches you. He holds you. He sustains you. When you get to that point, you say, I can't make it any longer. I can't keep doing this. God says, I will sustain you. I'll help you. That's what he does. Verse 15 says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. He supplies food and life. He gives us what we need. I mean, even Jesus points to that. He says, look at the the lilies in the field. Look how he dresses them. Look at the birds in the air. He, He gives them all that they need. He says, and you're more precious to God than those. So, Look how he sustains you. He cares for you. So when you pray, say, give us this day our daily bread. That's a yes answer from God to sustain you, to give you what you need. He supplies food and life. Verse 16, he goes on. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. Now, this isn't talking about the lust desires. It's talking about just the desires of life, the, the things needed. He satisfies his creation. He gives it what it needs. He is good. He is, <laughs> he is great. He is glorious in splendor. He is righteous. He is merciful. And because that's who he is, what does he do? He satisfies his creation. Verse 17. It says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He's righteous in dealing with man and kind. So when I think about, you know, when the kids mess up and it's like, all right, we got to talk. Like, you sit down, you know. And it's time for dad to be righteous. Like, I got to be, I'm the judge right now. Like, we're going to be talking about what you just did. Okay. God is not just righteous and right in his judgments. He's kind. And so often, I'm either righteous or I'm kind. (laughs) You know, because when I'm kind, what ends up happening? I tend to be what? Merciful, right? It's like, oh, you should get the spanking or you should lose the privilege. or I'm going to be kind today. You know better. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry. Like, we go through that, right? But God is righteous, and at the same time, fully kind. Like, he's always that. 
And that's hard for us really to wrap around because we vacillate often between the two. And every once in a while, we get it right. We like, man, that, like, and we walk out of that room and we're like, did that just really happen that well? Like, oh my goodness, like that was the best ever. Why can't every discipline situation be like that? It was righteous and kind. And the kids are like, thank you, Father, for disciplining me. You know, it's like, it was the best, you know. It's like, what in the world? You know, like every once in a while, we get it. God is always that. Always righteous, always kind. Perfect balance. Verses 18 through 19. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. This, worship and prayer, two pillars of our church. Why? what he does. Look what he does when we pray. When we pray, he answers us. He draws near to all who call on him. You feel like God's just, I don't know, God's not talking to me. He's not near. Call on him. So one of my good buddies in here, Michael, who's running sound this morning, We've been missing each other for quite a while, and I'm getting texts from Michael. Hey, buddy, I miss you. What's he doing? He's calling on me, right? He's like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Hey, we should catch up. Hey, let's get a breakfast if you have time. Yeah, I mean, I, I could show you the list. I mean, talk about someone who's just kind of pursuing you. That's it. Like, he just keeps shooting me little texts. Michael, we're going to do it. I, I, you know, got my promise. But we haven't quite connected you know how that is, right? Our, your schedules don't line up, and it's like, I miss them. I, don't, I haven't seen them in a while. So you call them, and you call them, and it's like, oh, I don't know. When are we going to get together? And so as friends, sometimes like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't meet up. It always meets up with God. He said, call on me. I'll draw near. Call on me. I'm near. You don't have to wait. You don't have to get on my heavenly calendar. He said, just call on me. He's like, he's ready to be near all who will call. He's like, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm right here. And he answers our prayers. He wants to hear from us. He wants to be drawing near. Verse 20 says this, And the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. He preserves the righteous and destroys the wicked. Man may do whatever he wants to my body. I could be persecuted, I could be thrown in the well, I could be run over by a truck, whatever. I mean, they could do whatever they want, but my soul is preserved forever. I am his. He is mine. I have a place waiting for me in his presence and glory forever and ever. And in this time on earth, he still draws near. He still answers prayer. He still works. There's nothing that can happen to me in this space of time and that I should fear that I will not be preserved because he preserves his righteous, his people. I may not have health, wealth, and prosperity, but I have a hope that endures forever in glory with Christ. He says, I will preserve you. I do that. And what's he do? He brings justice. He destroys the wicked. So we see what God does here in these verses 
So then, what do we do? We just saw who he is, and we just see what he, what he does. So what do we do? Verse 1, it says, we extol you. That is to make much of something. The highest one of our actions is to extol God in our worship on Sunday morning. We, we lift him up. We make much of him. He is the highest. Verse 1, 2, and 20, it says that we bless. Now I'm going to run through these because we're going to be doing some worshiping at the end. So I want to make sure we have space. He says we bless God. So because of who he is and what he does, I bless him. Now, if we think about that, it's a lot like righteousness. It's like God does something to us and it helps us with righteousness. Well, bless, we think of the same thing. Like God blesses us and it means to help us, to strengthen us. But God doesn't need that from us. We don't strengthen God. We don't help God. So what does it mean when it says, bless your name, or all you angels, bless him in the heavenly sanctuary? What does it mean when we're commanded to come and bless God? Well, for us to bless God, it means for us to be in a position of thankfulness. We're in a position of thankfulness for who he is, for what he does. It also means for us to speak well of his greatness and goodness. So not only are we in a position of thankfulness, but we're speaking well of his goodness and greatness. To bless his name is to speak back to him of his goodness and his, grace and his greatness, to be thankful for all of those things he does. Verse three, it says this. This one I am gonna read. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. We praise. We praise. David says, what do we do? We give him praise. That could be the fruit of lips, but even the the raised voice in singing. And you say, well, I'm not a singer. Yeah, you are. All eternity, you're going to be a singer. (laughs) You're like, we're all to give praise. He doesn't say that he cares about how he sounds here. What he cares about is the heart giving him praise. Verses 4, 6, and 11 talks about commending him to the next generation, speaking about him, declaring him. David says, I got to tell somebody. I just got to tell somebody about this. I mean, if you went out, and I know none of you guys play the lottery, but if you went out and played the lottery today and you won, you would be telling people. And it would probably sound like this. Now, I don't ever play the lottery. I don't know why I did it today, (laughs) but I won. (laughs) You know, like you would tell somebody. If something good happens, you want to tell people about it. David says, you've hit the heavenly jackpot. You get Christ in all of the riches and glory. You are a co-heir. You are seated with him in righteousness. You won. And you're like, yeah, let's go put my ticket in my pocket. No, he's like, I declare it. I proclaim it. I commend it to the next generation. I'm like, hey, kids, guess what? Like, you got to know about Jesus. I, I, I come into the sanctuary and I say, God's been so good this week. Do you know what he's done for us? And I declare it. I proclaim it. Verse 5, he says this. He says that 
He thinks about all these works and he says, I will meditate. I mean, I'll meditate on it. Think on it. One preacher said, if you're too old for the song, Jesus loves me, you're too old. Just think about that for a minute, though. We all know this kid song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why am I singing so much today? I am singing like everything. <laughs> but think about it. Jesus loves me. He loves me. His affection is on me. His face is turned towards me. He is for me. He hears my prayers because he loves me. He redeemed me from the pit because he loves me. He's set my feet on solid ground because he loves me. He's given me a place in the heavens because he loves me. I, I know this because the scriptures, the Bible tells me about this great love. It is it's never running out. It never goes dry. He's never indifferent. He loves me. And I just meditate on that. If we just sit and think, Jesus loves me, and meditate on that, and then come into Sunday worship, you're ready to sing. David says, I think about even the simplest truths of God, and I meditate on them. We don't need to have those deep, deep thoughts to have it be worthy of meditation. Just the simple truths. Meditate on that. Verse 7 and 20. He talks about pouring forth the fame of your abundant goodness. Sing aloud of your righteousness. Here again, he's, he's saying, I'm pouring forth praise, singing aloud. When I think about this idea of pouring forth, the, the, the idea I get is that of, have you seen those, uh, I don't know why, but I, I got fascinated just recently watching uh, dams that break. Like they have, you're like, that's weird. Like, yeah, it's weird. But, you know, in those, in those videos, you know, you're watching it, and it's like, this dam hasn't been opened in, t you know, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. And they, they open the gate, and because it's so weak, once they give a little bit of room for that water, like everything changes, right? And the next thing you know, it's like the water's pouring out and it looks like liquid concrete. I mean, it's just pouring out and you're like, that's not water. And then the next thing you know, it starts changing color and you realize that there's now nothing stopping that water, that it has now broken through the dam. And you, then you start to see the dam just fall. And then the next thing, the water's just boom, pouring forth, just pouring forth. David says, when I think of God, who he is, what he's done, my praise just, poof, it just pours forth. Like I, I have to praise him. I have to sing about him. I have to talk about him and declare him. He's like, it just pours forth. Verse 10, he says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. We give thanks Give thanks to God, not just rub, dub, dub, thank God for the grub. I mean, we, we give thanks for what he has done. Verse 12, he says, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. He says, I want to make them known. I want people to know what you've done. 
I want to talk about. Not just Old Testament into New Testament stuff. Like these deeds are worthy to repeat it over and over and over and over and over again. But you know what? Our God is living and active and he's moving and he's working in our lives and the life of our church. And we declare the mighty deeds of God in our lives as well. We say Jesus showed up and he did great things for us. This is what he has done. And we declare his mighty deeds. The testimony of praise. Verses 18 and 19. He says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Here, when we pray, when we call on him, when we cry out to him, he draws near. Again, prayer. Two times he talks about that. So David's response to God and our response to God in this psalm is overwhelmingly verbal. You know, I don't like to talk much. Well, you should like to talk about God. David says, we, we talk, we sing. It's a verbal expression. He sees who God is and what God does, and he can't help but tell about it. He sings about it. Now, why do we as people, why do we as people sing? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why do we even write songs? Like, who cares? Like, why is it, like, music is like, people are like, eh, it's but why do we sing? It's in man. Even those of you who say, I don't sing, I bet you sing in the shower. Come on. That, that commercial, I think, of Shaquille O'Neal singing, I'm going to keep on loving you. And then he gets out and he's like, something won't do. You know, and they're like, can't unhear that. You know, I mean, we're all people who like to sing. Why? Why do we even sing what is that about? Like, what is it about man that he, he wants to sing? Well, we do so because there's something that stirs us. There's something in us that, that, that we, we don't just want words or, we, or poetry. Those things are beautiful, but we, at times we, we feel like this needs to be more. It needs to be expressed through music, and, and we want to connect on that deeper personal level. We want to join the emotion of the spirit with the proclamation of the mind. We want to bring them together. David sings because he wants to give the greatest expression he can to his worship. To him, it's like, I could say this. I could write it down as a poem. He said, the best is if I just sing it. I want to sing. So looking at verses 1 and 2 and verse 21, David says he does this what? Forever, every day forever and ever. I want to do this forever and ever. David's going to get that. We're all going to get that. We'll be able to proclaim this forever and ever. His worship is to be continuous in all places, all times. So this is what Jesus speaks about in John 4, verses 21 through 24. Jesus, with the woman at the well, it says this, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour was coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and here it is, and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Through this psalm, we could add back Looking back at verse 3, we do this 
because God is greatly to be praised. He's greatly to be praised. Meaning that our worship is to be proportional to the object of our praise. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Might, Might have stepped on your toe if you're thinking about your worship this morning. Was your worship this morning proportional to the glory of God that you just sang to? Was it proportional to him? Was it worthy of him? I mean, that's, that's what he's saying. He's greatly to be praised, so the praise I bring him should reflect his greatness. That's why it has to be in the right heart, the right spirit. That's the only way it can be reflected rightly. So we say how great our God is, well, our worship should reflect that greatness. So as I get ready to close here, I want to point out one more subtle but very important thing about worship. Now, we worship because we're created to be worshipers, as Peter told us. Uh, We worship because we see the greatness of God and we see the acts of God. But more than that, we worship, as Christians, we worship because we have experienced God. We've experienced Him in our lives. We worship God because we know Him. So when someone says, do you know Jesus? Yes, I do. Oh, I know him. He speaks to me through his word. He comes near in prayer. He comforts me. He gives me guidance. I know Jesus. I don't just know about him. Like, I know him. And he is worthy to be praised. I want to praise him. I want to worship him. He is not far from us. It's quite the opposite. He is near And we worship the one that we know. We worship the one that we know. That's why we say it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. We know him. So how passionately do you pursue your relationship with God? How does that come out in worship? What things are you praising and proclaiming and blessing and singing about as you grow in relationship with him. What will your worship look like this week? Will you stand with me? We're going to spend the next 15 minutes. Just, well, it may not be 15 minutes. Maybe 15 minutes. I don't know. Um, our worship team is going to lead us. We're going to spend that time worshiping, singing, praising together as one voice, one people. Now listen, God spoke to us in this, in this psalm a couple of times about prayer, about drawing near. If, if you need to pray during this time, maybe you're just saying, I want to sing, but I really just need to pray. There's stuff going on. Then feel free to come off to the side or move to the back or pray right where you are. Maybe you want to pray with somebody. If you're here and you're willing to be grabbed out of your seat and pray over someone because they say, hey, I could use prayer. Will you raise your hand? Just if you would. Okay, so look around. If those people have their hands up, you can grab them while they're singing with their eyes closed, hands raised. You can go over and, and get them. You can grab their hand while they're praising. I, I was told of a nice story about Sean Struby's wife, and Stan had to get her, and she was worshiping, and he grabs her hand, and she just holds on. <laughs> he was like, ah, oh, that's not how I thought this was going to go. Uh, you can grab that person 
and ask him just to pray with you. This is a time of worship. Listen, I can't do both at once, but God can. He can receive the praises of his people and draw near in prayer and answer at the same time. He is God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. Spirit of God, fill this room. Speak to our hearts as we draw near to you, draw near to us. As we see the truths on the screen, may we just sing, not worried about who's next to us or whether we're in key or whatever. Just, may we just proclaim it because we know you and we love you and you're worthy of it. So Father, we just give you worship. Thank you for the Psalm of David. Thank you for receiving us through Christ. You are great and greatly to be praised. So receive that now from your people. In Jesus' name, amen.